you know, whatever it is we're doing before, you know, to get ready for bed. What I'll do is I'll demand a bedtime story, right? I will say, <laughs> you're gonna, I want a bedtime story and, you know, predictably and inevitably. Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's actually the 24th of February. I hope you've had a good week and you're well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm not a rock star, but I'm a three-time CMO and trusted market advisor. I'm going to help my chums share the marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. You can find links to me and my guests in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com or on LinkedIn at rockstarcmo. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This week in the marketing studio, I'll pick the brains of Jeff Clark, to understand revenue operations and what this means for marketing and in the rockstar cmo virtual bar i'll join robert rose over a cocktail and we'd have a chat about storytelling but first we need to pay the bar tab i'll be back in a moment we'll be right back You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, it's time for my free consultation with our resident strategy advisor, former Forrester Research Director, Jeff Clark, in the Rockstar CMO Marketing Studio. Ian. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the studio. Thank you very much, mate. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, as as we usually report on what's going on outside my window. It's bright and sunny <laughs> and a little cool. Yes. Kind of like winter, but kind of not. So mm-hmm. You're very it's getting warmer and it's up. getting brighter earlier and later, which is good. Yeah. I think I've said this on the last couple of episodes uh, when we've been recording. So recording this on Wednesday. And uh, we've had a storm roll through a couple and more as well. And it's just, I mean, it's not raining right now, as you, as you can see, but it has been, has been bloody miserable. It is the very weather you would expect of jolly old England. It's mild, but it's grey and it's miserable. So, Is that why it's called jolly old England? Because it's, you have to like, you know, sort of fake yourself out of yeah. the fact that it's not very jolly. <laughs> yeah, it's all marketing, mate. <laughs> it's all marketing. Uh, yes, no, we are. We are. I don't know. We're not that renowned for being jolly, are we? English? I don't know. So, yes. Um, I don't know why it's called Jolly Old England. We'll have to look that up. Um, anyway, so that's the uh, that's the weather done and um, and me moaning, uh, which is good. Uh, that starts. That sets the tone. <laughs> Uh, mostly, it's uh, it's going to be a topic for you mostly this week, mate, because we've been talking off air about revenue operations, which is an area I know a little bit, not very much about, and I know that that's a, that's something that was an area of study for you when you were back at Forrester. Um, a couple of articles have floated our way over the last couple of months, so we've been parking them in our little to do folder or our to do notes in app for because. 
although you may not think so from the way that I stumble over my words, we do prepare for these things. <laughs> <laughs> and we talk a lot, we've talked a lot about marketing operations and mops. And I think we've done that a lot. And it's, it's very much key to one of our five fundamentals, which is the machine. Um, so I'm curious about this revenue ops thing and what it means to marketing leaders. And I hope that you could share some of your experience um, and wonder if it's actually from what I've read. Is it is it the answer to this much maligned relationship between sales and marketing that we have? Or is it just a distraction from the business of just getting our marketing shit done? What say you, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is definitely one of those topics that, uh, you know, became in vogue three or four years ago, mm-hmm. I guess, is uh, to be, uh, you know, accurate. In, and, you know, it, it's, what's interesting is that, I mean, I remember, I mean, things evolve. Yes. They, they always evolve. And I remember, you know, kind of midway through my career and there really wasn't anything. I mean, there was no concept of operations, either marketing ops, sales ops. But, you know, you know I started a uh, database marketing team, you know, back in early 2000s and they mm-hmm. did the day, you know, they worked on the customer database and the email systems and blah, 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 tracking tools and things like that. But, you know, as we uh, as we got into the era of leads and lead flow and CRM systems and all, you know, kind of like the mid 2000s, then both sales and marketing created operations teams. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, um, you know, where I was working, we recast the function as marketing ops. And, you know, to function well, those two teams, you know, have to be aligned on a lot of things like, you know, what's the, you know, what's the lead in the opportunity process look like? Where's the handoffs? What are the, the what types of data do you use for metrics? You know, are we talking about revenue, percent of revenue, opportunity value, blah, 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 pipeline. And, um, and so you've got these two teams that even though they're reporting up to, you know, the CMO and or the head of sales, uh, then, you know, they've got to be aligned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as the business recognize that the, that the value of looking across the whole buyer journey and what is, how are we developing our, you know, future revenue, then, you know, then it's like the organization as a whole starts to think about this thing a little bit more holistically. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I was at, at, uh, at, at serious decisions, we actually were kind of surveying on this. And <clears throat> in most cases, you know, there was def- separate revenue and sales operation or sorry, marketing and sales operations team um, and trying to get alignment. Um, but there was a small percentage of, uh, of organizations that had what they defined as RevOps typically reporting up to the chief revenue officer. So that would typically be sales, you know, whether marketing reported up to the revenue officer or not, it's like, that's where the operations team sat. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, and as you were as you were talking there, I was thinking, yeah. So, so the evolution, and it's funny, isn't it? The amount of time that the relatively short amount of time that's actually gone by in terms of the evolution of these these disciplines that we now take for granted, like marketing operations and stuff. But and I remember when I was at um, Sendshare, we I had a marketing operations folks, obviously as a CMO. That's my sort of preferred structure. Um, but we were they worked very closely with the sales ops people. So I think if you've got a very if you've got a good relationship and a good blended team there, I think I think that 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 works quite well, doesn't it? Um, so, um, yeah, so that's what I think. And then um, so what's is there a difference between what function 
revenue ops perform to what you just described as in what does sales ops and marketing ops perform? Well, I think that, uh, you know, it is part of this evolution, whereas, you know, revenue ops is, is you know, as as you know, we refer to one or was referred to in one of the articles we were using as inspiration is closing the customer value gap and driving commercial performance. Mm-hmm. And so that takes it kind of above you know, the the specific interests of just marketing or just sales. And so the difference really, you know, to an extent is do you do you know do you do you want this this group to be, you know, more uh holistic in their view and then and then figuring out where it reports? Or do you literally want it, you know, reporting up to uh chief revenue officer or do you want it to split but making sure they're tightly aligned? I mean it's really it's kind of tough because you could say that this is a ver- like you were just describing. This is a virtual team that mm-hmm. just needs to work together, and they need to define things together. Mm. Um, but sometimes, you know, based on the culture, the nature, maybe of the of the uh, you know the individuals that are you know in the leadership positions, um, you know, it needs to it needs to point you know one way or the other. You know, the the pro for combining into a unified group is that it makes decision making easier. Mm. The con is that somebody's going to get shortchanged. You know, is the CMO lose direct access to the kind of the resources that mm. you know make his marketing team run well? Or you same thing say the same thing about maybe a chief product officer or a chief customer officer that had their own little operations team. You know, you move it all together and um, you know, and then you you sort of lose, you know, use some of that control. One of the things that, you know, I was thinking back in my experience, we were doing a um, technology assessment for a company called Commvault. And, you know, when we do the technology assessments, we were, we were, you know, looking at not just the tech, but the processes, the data, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and they, they actually, you know, decided to create a revenue ops team because they were just internally, they were having too many struggles with, um, with decision making and they had to get that whole revenue process right. right. So they decided to combine it. They fixed the process. And, uh, you know, what they said to me, to me, I remember saying in retrospect was mm. that that was probably the best decision uh, to make at that time. Right. So, I mean, so this is about um, de-siloing the, um, I guess it's de-siloing the operations of revenue, isn't it? It's, it's de-siloing, de- de- not to use the same words, but it's de-siloing demand generation, attribution tracking and all that good stuff. So you can, you can then track from a marketing inbound lead or, or a market or a account-based marketing approach that we're taking all the way through to revenue, right? So, but isn't that really what we as marketers should be doing now? I mean, what, you know, in, the CMO role that I was doing at Spotler, for example, the demand team were really keen to know what happened to the leads, what happened to the revenue, did they have revenue? Shouldn't it, is there still the concept that marketing ops just chuck something over the wall? I mean, it is a bit like this argument about where um, business development should sit. Should it sit within marketing yes. or whether it should sit within sales? So are, are we just setting up a new organisation because because an organization is broken and people aren't working well together what what what's what's going uh, on here? you know you might you might say yes to that <laughs> <laughs> well it it is um you know it, it's uh i mean that is the key question is yeah. the why are we doing this what what you know can we go through the pros and cons of of making this this um 
change and mm-hmm. and it 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 starts to i mean i even think about the evolution of of it because it, there, there's there are some similarities here whereas you know i mean it used to be um you know serving all the individual um you know, units within the business mm-hmm. and they had to create liaisons so that they know how they serve their internal customers well. And, you know, they started to define, here's the things that IT has control over. Here's things that marketing has control over in terms of like your MarTech. Here's the things sales has control over. So you kind of create this, this hybrid of a centralized versus decentralized, uh, um, you know, organization. And I think the same thing, it starts to become like if you with RevOps, if you truly create a centralized function that's looking at the revenue, all the revenue processes for beginning to end, then you're going to have to create liaisons that are working for your internal, making sure that the work for your internal customers, you know, is is happening. So the CMO, you know, you know, may need to retain some staff that we would typically throw into operations, maybe like their analytics team or maybe like their project management office or something like that, that, you know, works at the CMO's discretion while data tech process, at least around revenue process stuff is, is all worked by that, that, um, more holistic RevOps team. So, um, and yeah, this, I don't and really, the other, th- yeah. oh, go ahead. I uh, know. I, I mean, one of the things I was going to introduce here, so that, you know, to, that sort of was answering the, the the question that I was asking there about um but, but the, it sounds it sounds to me like this should be a blended team. It also sounds to me like um, our marketing operations needs to needs to provide that service or somebody needs to provide that service to the company. And why shouldn't it be marketing operations? So I'm not sure that that there's the case. But are we? And also, if you're a CMO and you've got a um and you've got a chief commercial officer and there's two of you side by side then you're not going to hand over to somebody in his team to measure your performance are you so does it is is does does revenue ops actually require us to have this new cro type of role sitting over marketing and sales and therefore you know that is that is that the driver for having revenue ops or does revenue ops also work in that other model where you've got a cmo and a c uh, so a the um so as I remember when we were surveying the uh you know B2B organizations that mm-hmm. that revenue ops typically showed up in organizations that are in industries that are extremely sales driven. So right. you know, if you get mm-hmm. into a lot of B2B manufacturing, yeah. um distribution, you know, there there is marketing, but marketing is typically about kind of brand and the yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's either a function of sales or it's yeah. typically about brand and packaging and, right. you know, some other things that are that that don't get into the demand revenue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I think that partially the answer to your question is it's going to depend on the, the the culture and the strengths of the executive team, the individuals yeah. on the executive team, because if you have a you know a sales leader who is like basically determining how revenue and and everything that's supporting revenue is going to is going to happen then mm. then they're going to want to s- scoop up this revops team yeah. if you've got a cmo who is really charting the future cuz you know one of the differences mm. of the many between marketing and sales marketing tends to look long term or at least yeah. mid term 
Yeah. Sales t- tends to look quarter to quarter, <laughs> you know, end yeah. of the year. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if the focus is on, you know, maybe you've got to improve customer satisfaction, the, uh, mm. you know, customer experience, all these things that tend to go into the marketing realm, then, you know, maybe that's where your, your RevOps team should, um, should reside. Yeah. It's, uh, inter- it's interesting because it opens up quite a lot of that debate doesn't it about the role of marketing and it's slightly different in different organizations isn't it in in terms of yes sometimes it is the the color and in department or the folks that were responsible for brand and and that kind of thing and 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 not in the critical path of revenue and in other organizations marketing is much more respected as an investment and therefore should own revenue operations as a practice rather than as a team if you see what i mean do you know what i mean the operations of revenue it- I mean, the, the the experience yeah. that I had, even though in three different companies, I worked yeah. very closely with sales ops um, yeah. and my team worked very closely with sales yeah. ops is that the, the thing is that the sales ops team was just, I mean, they just were typically overloaded with reports mm. and analysis on pipeline and, yeah. and, and maybe sales skills issues and all kinds of things that were yeah. like very short term. And it's like, you try to say, well, let's, let's step back and fix yeah. You know, the whole, you know, uh, you know, yeah. for lack of a better term, the whole lead to close process. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point, because if you outsource your marketing operations to revenue operations from an from a metrics and analytics perspective, as you say, those guys are reporting on a weekly, monthly, daily, quarterly basis in terms of hot lead flow as it stands. And you may lose that medium to long term view of your of your strategy, mightn't you? And how are you measuring those? And how are you measuring the people that are your engagement with people that aren't in market yet, or the very top of funnel people? That that the sales operations people, quite rightly, are going to care much less about those folks, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's, it just raises an interesting debate, doesn't it? Particularly, particularly when you, when you think about the CRO thing. But I think that's. But the important point I think you made there is certain organisations. This will fit sales led organizations, certain kinds of products, certain kinds of B2B industries. But in other industries that are it's maybe more marketing or product led, then you probably want all of this sitting in marketing, this the this data, right? And that you feed that yeah. over to sales and, and and have a tight collaboration. Or 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 again, you're kind of like the you know, separating certain skill sets to say, mm. okay, we've got a s maybe if it's marketing led, maybe we've got a small sales ops team that's really mm. focused on sales. Up, uh, reporting in process, you know, but but a lot of the other decisions about tech, data, et cetera, et cetera, are being driven by yeah, yeah. by marketing. But I would ops. encourage I, I would encourage anybody to uh, get their marketing ops to get as close to revenue as possible because I think it's a you could almost offer it as a service, couldn't you, from within your teams, the sales team, yeah. and um, that would help build bridges and develop that that relationship, wouldn't it? If you if you because who the fuck wants to do this analytical stuff? Nobody. You've you get the right kind of marketing ops geek who loves the data and loves digging into it. It doesn't matter if he's reporting near term sales attribution data or if he's reporting on longer term marketing attribution data. It's it's all data to them, isn't it? So I think yep. I think that's really interesting. You, I mean there it, are it, people out there mm, like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh absolutely. And that's why I was lucky when I was at Censure. I had two guys that were um uh, they happen to be guys uh, that that were very much into. One of them was like because uh, they use Salesforce and and the, and the marketing team used um, HubSpot, 
And therefore, you know, the two of them came together, realized some really fundamental problems of the way the data models works in both of those products. Let's put that yeah. aside. But they were both yeah. trying to achieve the same thing. And it was a really good meeting of minds. I, I really enjoyed that kind of thing that we got going. Anyway, so um, we talked about just a minute ago, we were talking about articles. We alluded to articles that inspired us. And of course, friend of the show, Forrester, Principal Analyst Simon Daniels, we mentioned his work back in December when we did our prediction show. And he wrote this great piece in about past, present and future of RevOps. And in the past, he was he shared a similar story to 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 what you just did about, you know, in the beginning, there was nothing, right? And now we've created this. Now, if, Before the Big Bang. Yeah, yeah. So, but what, what I wanted to ask you is um, if, you're, if you were advising a startup or a new business or an, um, a, a team that had an immature sales and marketing team, let's put it like that, and they're just forming these functions, would you create a RevOps team or a MOPS team? What would be, which way would you lean? I- I would, um, well, so first I have to throw in my little aside because I loved, uh, Simon's reference to Christmas Carol, you know, one of <laughs> yeah. my favorite, uh, Dickens, yeah. uh, stories about, you know, Scrooge visiting the past, president, future. Yeah. So it was, it was appropriate given, nice I think piece. he posted yeah. it in uh, December. Um, but I think that, that at the outset, um, that really it is important for the, executive leaders to have their own operations staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the caveat that they have to work together. Uh, and as the company matures, then you, that's where you start to find the different operating models. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Cause even if you get into, I mean, large organizations, I mean, I remember working with SAP and you, I mean, you could take all the tech data process. I mean, they had different teams that worked those things that were separate <laughs> from, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I actually can't remember exactly where they reported up to, or they probably reported up to various places because, yeah. you know, in a gigantic organization, you know, you say, I'm going to put a leader, I'm going to put somebody, as you said, somebody who really understands data and how to put, put models together and be able to do predictive work. Mm-hmm. I'm putting them all on one team and they may report up to somebody who's, you know, an analytics guru on the, on the executive team. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so anyway, the, the, the operating models will change over mm. time, but I answer, go back to answering your question directly. <laughs> I think that sales and marketing <laughs> leaders really need to start out with their own operations staff when you're small. Right. I, I thought you were sitting on the fence there for a minute there, but yeah, it does, it does sound like that. And then, and then, and then evolve into it. Cause the other thing is in smaller teams, you see that there are salespeople that are having to, they're, they're doing this work instead of selling, which which is where I think that if you can get a good little mops team together early doors and they can offer that as a service, sales would bite your arm off, right? They won't. They're not <laughs> going to be saying, "Oh, I need it," because which Ouch. what sales guy wants to fill in anything ever on anything? Now I'm hugely. I know. I'm, I'm, I am. I am. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm. I'm casting assertions. Yeah. Anyway, I'm doing something with it's. All... It's not a good or bad thing. It's just a thing. <laughs> I mean, they're busy. They're they're wicked. I mean, that's what I always. What I, you know, when I start to work side by side with salespeople, yeah. particularly like when I was yeah. working in the, the EMEA office back mm. when I was at Pega, and mm. it's like I'm 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 in you know just the next cubicle over from yeah. people in sales, and it's like you see the work that they have to do exactly. It's that it's administrative, you know. That's yeah. not talking to customers. It's yeah. really um. It's well, and also the boss is phoning them every half an hour, going, "Where's this deal? Where's this deal? Where's yeah? This deal? Where, you know? Where's where's your pipeline report? Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. 
where's the TPS reports? Anyway, the um, uh, so um, it, so in that same article, just to carry on with our our um, Simon thing, um, he cites that technology, uh, the complexity of attribution of revenue and privacy as being the key drivers of revenue operations. To me, well, I mean, to me, that sounds like that's a key driver for sales and marketing operations in general. But what's yeah. your take on that? Well, that is, I mean, that is those things specifically are the reason why my example of Commvault that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. you know, created a RevOps team. It's like marketing leadership was in flux, sales was under pressure to fix, you know, the whole mm-hmm. driving revenue issue. I mean, I'm not that they were necessarily having overall revenue problems, but it's like there were just these internal things they needed to mm-hmm. work through. They adopted the concept of which we've mentioned a few times in the show, this demand unit waterfall where you're trying to look at at the flow from beginning to end in a funnel as as opportunities, not as leads and turning into opportunities. Do you know that? And be, so just to interrupt for a second, I think that would be a nice rabbit hole for us to dive down at one point, won't it? Because we yeah. do. You have referred to this a couple of times from Forrester about the demand unit waterfall thing, and you do see it mentioned in a lot of Forrester's work. So it'd be interesting to get your take on what that's all about as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, what they determined was, you know, the key issue was this process. And so to fix the process, they mm-hmm. said, we got to, you know, we got to, you know, create a, you know, unified team. Um, and, and, you know, that unified team could stay unified for some period of time. And then mm-hmm. eventually, again, operating models, you know, mm-hmm. things change and evolve and operating models may change with that. Mm-hmm. So, um uh, you know, and that that worked well because it simplified the decision making. And, yeah. you know, again, we've all worked in in companies where either the sales and marketing leaders were like, you know, yeah. tied at the hip or they were, you know, at different sides of the building or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. And and, uh, uh, you know, so well, think, and which which makes it hard for mm. I mean, when when those leaders are, aren't working well together, it yeah, makes it yeah. hard for the ops teams underneath to uh, work well together. Yeah. And that's the. um what the the question I it's it's not in the notes, but one of the things that well, I want to follow up on on this, thinking about what you were saying there, but I think it's inter- it'd be interesting to know, was that Commvault decision made in a point of pain, i.e., revenue was down and they were trying to figure out where the fucking problem was. There was a lot of finger pointing going on and blame, or was it done at a point of growth? They were like, wow, we need to get a handle on this and understand why things are so good. Which because I think I think it that's more what a- changes it, yeah. Yeah, it was more at a point of pain, um, mm. you know, and again, as I, as I said, the marketing leadership was in flux. So then it's yeah, like, yeah. If, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you know, turn to somebody on the executive team to say, mm. you've got to fix this, then I'm going to, yeah. in this case, I'm going to turn to the guy heading, heading the, you know, the sales team or revenue CRO yeah. and say, okay, here, you fix it. And he's going to say, okay, I'm, I need these resources, pull it together. Yeah. Okay, now we're off and and uh, and we're running. I think that, I, and I, I, that's also I think. And in, I mean, there's a couple of things we've raised here in terms of, you know, it depends on the nature of the marketing and sales teams, depending on your business and all that kind of stuff. But I do think sometimes these initiatives are triggered by a knee-jerk reaction to a problem, and you end up spending so much time sort of realigning your ducks and not really informing teams and calling things things and and not really solving what the underlying problem is you're just trying to sort of figure out who's responsible aren't you 
Yes. <laughs> Getting your ducks in a row, as my mother always used All to right. say. So on every topic right now, as we've kind of matured our five effing fundamentals, and we now have it, we have it quite nicely down as the master plan, the knowledge, the story, the campaign, and the machine. And just for anybody who's never listened to us before, those are what we believe are the five fundamentals of B2B marketing. Where does this sit within that, Jeff? This is definitely the machine because it's so. it's yeah. the it's the group mm. that or you know make sure that the rest of the organizations has the capabilities yeah. to run the other four fundamentals and yeah. you know hit your goals uh and you know this is where you know the, there's a I mean, the relationship is in the master plan the CMO and his and his leadership team should be identifying what kind of capabilities they need yeah to hit their goals and then it's like you turn to your marketing ops team and say okay how can you help us, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. acquire new technology, fix this, upskill that, improve data, what, you know, whatever, whatever that dependency is. Yeah. And, uh, and so the good thing is that here at Rockstar CFO, we do have some tools and some advisory to uh, <laughs> help people conduct that assessment uh, if, I think, if, if you're so interested. I think that's the first time we've tried doing any selling in this particular segment. <laughs> I do mention uh, in, the, in the bits in between, the segues, whatever it's called, that, uh, that uh, you're available to give advice. So um, absolutely, I'd encourage anybody to get in touch. Hello at rockstarcmo.com. Or come to our website and uh, and as you say, I, I mean you've you've got more than tools and advisory. You've actually got a methodology, haven't you, for doing this? Yeah. That you've used with clients, and I think that if folks are curious about whether their marketing operations is operational, and if their machine is working, then I think that's a good. I place like to that. Come. Very right. good. What a nice way to end. I mean, look at us all selling in that. We we need our own revenue operations. All right, mate. So the last thing on the agenda is the song. Uh, so what we're are we gonna, going with this week? We're going to play out with the song Machine, which mm-hmm. uh, you reminded we may have used <laughs> twice, <laughs> once before <laughs> or twice yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. from Imagine Dragons in 2018. Yes. The line they said, when you're going to see I'm part of the, your machine. Pause. I am the machine. I like that. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I think that's a great song to play with. I, you know, I almost mm. went a plug for one of my old favorites from my college days. Welcome to the machine by Pink Floyd, because it says you've been in the pipeline filling in time. Uh, so, but you know, yeah, that's kind of a downer song. So yeah. Let's yeah. go with I, the machine. Yeah. Let's, let's be positive. Leave something positive for the listeners. So I'll play it with the machine from Magic from 2018. And Jeff, will you be welcoming me into the studio next week? Yes. <laughs> All right, buddy. All my life been sitting at the table, watching them keys and living in a fable. Looks like money and never left a wishing, but now it's about time to raise up and petition. All my life been sitting at the table. Thank you, Jeff. And that was a little bit of Machine by Imagine Dragons. And if you have something on your mind, why not pick Jeff's brain on your marketing problem? Give us a shout at Rockstar CMO and book a consultation. Right. It's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join the chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing thought.
Jamie Mubbitts, what are you drinking? Yeah, hello, my friend. Welcome to the bar. It is been a, an interesting week, a long mm-hmm. week. Um, yeah, there's been quite a bit that happened this week. A lot with AI that happened this week. I mean, <laughs> this last week since we last were in the bar together. <laughs> new, new, uh, new, new developments in this whole uh, Sora thing from yes, OpenAI. Yeah, yeah. Video and yeah. that's crazy. Well, and that is our. We're going to celebrate a little bit of that right. um, this week mm-hmm. with our cocktail because one of the main videos that uh, was featured mm-hmm. on the OpenAI's website was a woman walking through the streets, you know, <laughs> in a very sort of Blade Runner-y yes. sort of rainy night, yeah. you know, sort of a lights reflecting in the street sort of way. Yeah. Um, there's a in the video. There's a very creepy guy walking behind her, which is I find fascinating. <laughs> with this, video. Like this is this is what they chose to feature. But in any event, it isn't supposed to be in Tokyo, and so I thought we'd celebrate that mm-hmm. with a very simple cocktail, uh-huh. um, which is. Uh, have you ever had? Have you tried Japanese whiskey? No, I think you've mentioned it before, and I've said oh, I should try that, and I haven't yet. It's. It's, it can be brilliant. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's, it, it rivals anything that you would get in Ireland or Scotland. <gasps> and I've, now all the Irishmen and, and yeah. Scotsmen are, are yelling at the screen right about now. But um, <laughs> but but it is really good. Uh-huh. Um, and we're going to be drinking a... Vi- I mean, it's as simple as it gets, right? So the, the brand of Japanese whiskey is, is called Hakushu. Uh, it's a Hakushu 12-year mm-hmm. whiskey. Yeah. Um, it is absolutely brilliant um it's very hard to find Uh, i will tell you that it's very very difficult to find Mm -hmm. um and it's now become a bit of a collector's item so that has driven up the price quite a bit so Mm -hmm. but we have a bottle and we're gonna drink (laughs) something classy um and it's basically just it's it's as simple you know as taking your scotch the way you like it whether Mm -hmm. you like it with a little splash of water in there whether you like it neat whether you like it with a big rock um that's really the only three ways you can have this um uh and you know because this is not a cocktail you don't you don't you don't put this in you don't put anything in this um so uh, so you you sip this neat, maybe on the rocks, which would mean one giant good ice cube, um, or maybe with a splash of water, as um, as the aficionados do. Mm-hmm. And it's just a beautiful, wonderful sort of. It's got vanilla in it. It's got wow. a, a very light peat to it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really quite good. Nice. Ah, oh, this sounds nice. I, I should get back into whiskey. I like that. I, I, I got a bit put off, I think, by some really peaty whiskey. I think Lafrogue and stuff like that. But I need. To I did too. I yeah, I, yeah. Try, I got turned off a of whiskey for that exact reason yeah, myself. Yeah. This the really smoky stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just it, I I couldn't do it anymore. So I got into bourbon because of that. Yeah, like I yeah, started getting yeah. Or yes. into bourbon because of yeah. because of my lack of interest in the in the smoky yeah. peaty sort of scotches. Think, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think for me, same. And and living in the US, and it's got to be bourbon when you're living in the US, and of course, uh, Mad Men, <laughs> and probably a little bit of influence from you. And I suddenly I start drinking a lot of bourbon. <laughs> Mind you, you, it's tequila. So I need to. I really need to discover my tequila teeth, or whatever tequila, whatever you get. I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> tequila legs. Tequila arms. I don't know. All right, mate. So um, I presume would I be right in presuming we're going east with these drinks? 
What's I missed that? Uh, are we ask? going east with these drinks? Where are we drinking these? We are going. Yes, we are yes. indeed going east. We are headed east, and we're going to sit. We're going to go right to that street on that Sora video. And so, have you ever you you've been to Tokyo before? Have you not? I haven't. No, no, I haven't. Me, oh, it's think, just yeah. a brilliant city. It's yeah. it's one of my favorite places. It's wow. so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, every time I go, I I I take so many pictures because of the. Mm. You know, it, yeah. it's hard to describe, but that that sort of all those neon lights and the yeah. way that they do the the streets and and, and everything is is really. I mean, you would mm. think it wouldn't be, but it truly is beautiful. Mm. So, and it's super quiet, and it's just a wonderful city to yeah. go find food and drink and all the sorts of things. So, yes, that's where we're going to go. We're going to nice. find ourselves one of those little places. Yeah, there are these amazing little places uh, in Tokyo. Where you can walk in and the menu's on an iPad and you literally just like tap a bunch of stuff that you want and food comes out and you can just sit there and eat Japanese street food and it's just amazing. Nice. So that's where we'll oh, find ourselves. Yes, yes, please. I would like to do that, please. Yeah. Um, and um, when, um, I mean, we're in such a lovely, beautiful place, but conversation no doubt will turn to marketing with us too. Um, what are we discussing this week? We're going to talk about storytelling. Oh. Um, and yeah, it's so. So it, there, there, I had an interesting thing happen. So my, my wife and I have this funny little banter that we do mm-hmm. um, occasionally before bed. It's sort of our end of evening ritual. And so as we're brushing our teeth and <laughs> getting a glass of water, you know, whatever it is we're doing before, you know, to get ready for bed. What I'll do is I'll demand a bedtime story, right? I will say, <laughs> you're gonna, I want a bedtime story. And, you know predictably and inevitably she's refuses. Um, and then I say, okay, well then I'll tell you a bedtime story. And now she doesn't want that uh-huh. either, obviously. So, so we end up going back and forth in this sort of, you know, very mm-hmm. faux heated negotiation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I offer, okay, well, if you don't want a story, how about a song or a poem, or I'll read you a legal contract or, you know, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. a limerick. Uh, she wants none of that. Yeah. Um, and then we always end up where we end up, which is, okay, agreeing that we've both been in a story for the last 20 minutes and we go to sleep. Um, <laughs> and it's, I know it's a little weird, um, but you know, it's what keeps our marriage fresh. Um, but anyway, it reminded me of a shift that I have seen in storytelling, mm-hmm. brand storytelling uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. And so it goes like this, which is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shift that I'm seeing really become a super important part of what it is we do as content creators and marketers. And, mm-hmm. and so if we look at sort of the state of the state, right, where generative AI is making how to content derivative content, it's even more commoditized than, it, than if, if it even could be more commoditized <laughs> it now yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so therefore we can assume that over the next short term, certainly maybe the long term too, but maybe certainly in the short term trust in our digital experiences are going to, st- is going to wane, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to wane in the short term because people are going to start to assume that it's AI created and mm-hmm. um, search engines are broken and it's really hard to uncover valuable information unless you can create that trust to mm-hmm. create the trust with audiences and audiences are going to really start to continue. Uh, value more things that are really personal, not necessarily personalized, but really personal, mm-hmm. right? Personally valuable to them, you know, where they go, this is exactly what I need and I need more of it, right? So if we lean into that, 
Well, there's an interesting thing because what we don't want to do is don't tell <laughs> me a story about you, right? Okay. Don't tell me a story because, you know, and this is the classic and most marketers have figured this out that the brand, their brand isn't the center of the world, right? You know, you know, for example, when <laughs> I would go to a, a client and say, tell me your story, tell me yeah. your brand story. And they would say, well, we need our audience to understand that our brand is going to save the planet or our brand is, you know, we need our customers to understand that they're innovative. And I would go, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, wow, I wish that brand would tell me how innovative they are. <laughs> um, but so now the same thing is I'm not refuting, just to be clear, I'm mm -hmm. not refuting the need that you know, in other words, I'm not negating that, right? When, when someone tells me we need our customers to understand how innovative we are, mm -hmm. I, I get it. You do need to do that. You really yeah. do. That's an objective. It's not a story. It's no. just a goal, right? Yeah. And so the question is, is, is that that's not the story. You have to find where your story is. So we talk about the idea all the time, and this is really the heart of content marketing and don't need to go into this in any detail, but the idea is that you know, your brand's stories are about demonstrating value, right? Demonstrating the value that you have, but all the way to the other side, like sort of the, you know, don't, don't make me tell you a story about you, um, which is so many times what we see our brands get to a customer and they go, okay, well, if it's not about us, basically we need our customer to tell the story about us. Mm -hmm. So we get testimonials or case studies or whatever. And what we're trying to, and what we think we're doing as marketers is, you know, we're basically just shifting who's doing the telling about us, right? And mm -hmm. we're still the center of the story, but we say, oh, the customer will tell our story for yeah. us. You know, they'll tell their story and by, you know, by nature of that, they'll demonstrate how valuable we are, or how innovative we are, right? Mm -hmm. So we end up saying not, we need our audiences to understand how innovative we are. We say our customers need to tell our audiences how innovative we are. Mm -hmm. And now again, th there's an application for that. The customer testimonial, the case study are all ways of making people or persuading people to make a transaction. But what it doesn't do, what neither of those things do are create a more emotional or meaningful relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. And our brand is supposed to do that. Our, when we're talking about brand storytelling, that's what we're really trying to do is expand, deepen, widen, create more meaningful relationships with our customers. So that's the key. And what we need to do is start to think about shifting how we create content as a re result of that. Now, the heart mm -hmm. of that really is content marketing, but more than content marketing, it is about, well, for example, shifting the language that we use, right? Mm -hmm. So in both B2B and B2C marketing, we can get into sort of what I call the wise person on the hill scenario, right? Where, <laughs> yeah. you know, what we're trying to do is demonstrate how smart we are always, <laughs> right? You know, everything is good. Yeah. Um, and on the customer side, it always becomes like, you know, the customer case study is, you know, well, this person had a problem and then they chose our brand and now it's all unicorns <laughs> and rainbows, right? Yeah. So we have to shift that language and put in struggle, the, the challenge, yes. the vulnerability, the heartache, the unexpected downsides, okay. and then thinking about widening and deepening the value that we deliver, you know, whether it's education, whether it's inspiration, whether it's, you know, it is putting the customer 
into the story. It's not a story about the customer. It's not a story that tells our story to the customer. It's rather a separate story that puts the customer into the cockpit of that story Mm -hmm. so that it's co-created, right? That's the new shift toward brand storytelling, putting them into into the story where they feel comfortable, where they want to be part of it, where they want to co-create with us, where they are creating value with us, we are creating value with them, or we are enabling that value to be created. And thus, that's the new idea of brand storytelling rather than those two sort of dumbbell um, extremes there, right? So, I mean, today's web is this roiling, bubbling, chaotic (laughs) marketplace. You know, it's got inspiration, it's got practicability, but it's also got outright lies and fake Mm. news and Mm. awful truths. And it's just this, it's just this sort of stew of stuff. So we have to ditch the old playbook of thinking about always be closing or always be, you know, converting or always be, you know, thinking about us at the center of it and putting Mm. our customer into a vehicle that allows them to create value for themselves. That's where they're comfortable because they don't want a story and they don't want us to tell them a story and they don't want to tell a story. They just want to be in the story. And that's where I think it really is moving to. Yeah. It's just so bold as to say that the, um, the customer is the hero. Am I being a bit, bit, well it could be see that's the thing it's it's when we when we often go to this idea of the Mm -hmm. customer is the hero Mm -hmm. we what we for what we then go okay we're done right we sort of you know swipe our hands up and down we go yep we've done it we've now made the customer the hero so the customer Mm -hmm. is the hero but what they're telling the story that they're telling of where they're the hero is how they were so heroic in selecting us right you know or coming to our point of view (laughs) right so in other words your customer story ends up being something like you know this person was really struggling in life and had a really hard time and they're the hero of this wonderful story so what did they do well they went out and looked for an answer to this big problem and they found us and we are the shining star on the hill and they climbed that hill themselves you know so we we have ostensibly made the customer the hero of the story but we've still made us the big you know we've made us you know the 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 facilitator of their success right whereas putting the customer at the center of this into the story Mm -hmm. is putting us alongside them like as a sidekick right You know, in, in other words, we don't become sort of the shining star on the hill, the ring, you know, the one ring to rule them all. Yeah. We literally become, you know, Frodo and, and, and yeah. Sam, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, helping each other go through to find, co-create and create value together and fight demons and, you know, do all right. the things that we have to do. That's that, the difference. And make mistakes along that journey, right? I think And make mistakes. And, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And unexpected challenges, yeah. even when we have success, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, a classic example of this, we used to do this is, you know, one of the things we would, we would talk about when we were talking about enterprise software is, Mm. you know, if you successfully get to an implementation of an enterprise software project, you have accomplished something huge, but you've also opened up the entirety of all new challenges, right? (laughs) And so, People don't talk about that. Brands no. don't talk about that. No. They don't say, hey, listen, once you successfully implement this global content management system, yeah. you're going to have a whole new world of challenges to actually yeah, have yeah. to deal with, yeah. right? Yeah. Everybody stops and says, no, no, no. Mm. All you need to do is deploy this enterprise software and mm. your world will be, you know, 
you know, bonbons and, and tequila forever. <laughs> right. But yeah. we don't those, but, but of course, if you do successfully achieve yeah. the implementation of that enterprise software, it's going to open up a whole new bag of worms for yeah. you. And let's acknowledge that. And let's go that's together. We're in this fight with you. Yeah. And those ba that bag of worms is change, isn't it? And that's the, that's the it thing. It changes all the time. And yeah, I think, exactly right. Yeah. And I think, I think probably you say this as well. It's like, um, Everybody loves change apart from when it happens to them, right? So it's, you know, you, you're, you're going to be bringing change to the organization and that's going to be the struggle, isn't it? It's how you, how you cope with that. I think it's really, and also um, what I, where I thought this was going to go, because I remember I've got an old quote from you and I've actually got it on our website, is that um, you used to say that marketing is telling people you're a rock star, content marketing is showing the world you are one. So it's an evolution of that idea, isn't it, from, that, you used to, that you used to talk about years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, it's, I mean, probably, yeah. So where can people find more up-to-date quotes from you, Moets? <laughs> uh, they can find us on, uh, at contentadvisory.net, our newest website, uh -huh. um, and our newest iteration of our website, uh -huh. I should say. So we're, we're, uh, we're having fun with our, with our new content platform over there and talking Good. about all these things. Good. And are you, uh, are you happy with this or are we expecting iteration number 17? <laughs> uh <laughs> i think we're happy with this for now we'll see how it we'll see how it turns out fantastic it, i yeah. thought it was going like the um like that big uh, cathedral in barcelona that it was never going to be finished and you're always going to be <laughs> keep building it forever. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> all right and then when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you mate uh, they will find us um, at uh, on LinkedIn, for me on LinkedIn anyway, mm -hmm. um, which is where I spend most of my social media time these days. Splendid. And also um, this week, uh, you, what uh, you, the, the, the episode of This Old Marketing, uh, you chatted a bit about uh, social media world that you've just been at. So I'd recommend people sliding over to there. So This Old Marketing as well, right? Yeah, you that's exactly you. right. All right, mate. And uh, most importantly for me, will you be in the bar next week? I will indeed. I'll see you then, my friend. Thank you, Robert. That is one of my favourite topics you might have noticed, especially how we tell customer stories with that little bit of struggle in the middle. I love that. So that's a wrap on episode 206 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insights. And you can find links to them, their work, and all the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog and newsletter and all of our previous episodes. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, select our track, and jiving along with us. I'd love to hear from you, so please say hello or drop us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will dive into this Forrester concept of the demand unit waterfall. And Robert will be back in the virtual bar with a fresh marketing thought. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.